All right, all right. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Man, every time we enter into his presence, it's like so sweet. I wish we could stay there all day, all night. That's so amazing. Well, thank you guys so much for coming out tonight. Thank you for everybody who's watching online. I'm super excited to be here. My name is Jared Blaukamp. I am a student here at the Leaders for Christ Training Center and uh, son of the house. I've been here a while, and it's an honor to be with you all tonight. So excited to deliver the word for you guys tonight. Before I get into the thick of things, during worship, I felt like God um, gave me a few words of knowledge to call out into the crowd. Maybe this is somebody in the crowd. Maybe it's somebody who's watching online. But specifically regarding healing. And as we approach like the Easter, Easter season, I'm just reminded of Isaiah 53 where it literally says that by Jesus' stripes we were healed. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was placed upon him and by his stripes we are healed. He paid for our healing on the cross. And so just to let you into this process, what do, you, what do I mean by a word of knowledge? What I mean is basically I was praying and worshiping and all of a sudden a random thought just came into my mind that I, and I felt like was from the Lord and it's concerning somebody else. God knows everything about everybody in the entire universe. He knows the number of ha- hairs that are on every single person's head or no hairs. You know, some people are bald, it's okay. And um, he knows everything about you. And it says in Psalms 139 that the thoughts that he has about you, about every single person, they outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. Like that's how much God is thinking about you. That's how much he loves you. And every once in a while, God, God can communicate to individual people about somebody else. God lets somebody in to one of his thoughts about somebody else. And we call that a word of knowledge. A, it might be a physical ailment might be something that they're going through and that I don't, I have no business knowing other than the spirit of God that's inside of me and the spirit of God who loves the person who needs to know the word. So you can let me know if any of these, I'll just read the words that I felt like God gave to me. And if that's you, yeah, we'll go into activation after that. So I felt like there was somebody here, maybe a few people even that were struggling with like digestive issues and the specific, like the specific image I got was that like almost your stomach was like tied in a big knot and it was just like man I can't like I can't receive freedom in this I eat things and it just like doesn't go through like just digestive problems and the vision I feel like I saw while I was worshiping is that God was like reaching in and he was untying like untying and releasing your stomach so does that does that relate to anybody in the room you can just like raise your hand okay so we have two yeah wow come on thank you Jesus all right so would, would you guys keep your hands up if that's okay? And then people who are around them, if you could just like lay your hands on them, extend your hands if you're a little bit further away. But we're all just going to pray and stand in faith. The Bible says in James 5, it says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful as it is working. And so we are, have all been made righteous through the blood of Jesus. So our prayers are powerful and they carry the capability to do what God intended for them to do. So Jesus, we stand in faith right now in the name of Jesus. For everybody in the room, Father, and everybody who's watching online that's struggling with digestive issues, Lord, we thank you, Father, that there is a release, God. There is a freedom to be had in this room tonight and for those watching online. Jesus, we thank you, Father, that you died so that we could be saved, so that we could be healed, and so that we could be delivered, God. You hung on the tree and became a curse for us so that we could be released from the curse of the law, Lord. So I thank 
thank you, God, that there's freedom, there's healing, and there's deliverance right now in the name of Jesus. I speak to a spirit of infirmity, and I break your power over these people in Jesus' name. Hands off, devil. You got to go. Get out. This is your eviction notice, never to return. Thank you, Father, that these people can eat with no issues, Father God, that, that everything functions the way that you created it to function, God. In Jesus' name we pray. We stand in faith, Lord, and we declare who you are, Jesus. This is not too hard for you, God. You are the God who splits seas. You're the God who makes Jericho walls fall on the ground. You are the God who slays giants with a sling and a stone, Lord. That's you, Jesus. You are powerful and you are well able to do this. So we take the authority that you have given us and we say, be healed for the glory of Jesus Christ. Be healed and released for the glory of Jesus Christ. We love you, God. You're so good. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 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 Come on. That is so good. If any of you guys notice any difference or anything, did anybody notice any difference, anybody in the room, like you, maybe you felt something like a heat or something in your stomach or some type of release, just wave your hand if you felt like during the prayer. Come on, praise God. That's so awesome. Thank you, Jesus. That's so good. That's so good. Come on. We want to hear about what God's doing, and so we, we're really intentional about follow-up. This isn't about me giving a spot-on word of God and praying a fiery prayer. That's not, about, that's not what it's about. It's about you receiving freedom and the freedom that God wants for your life. This isn't about me. It's about all of us coming together as a body and contending after these things. So if you didn't feel something that shifted or changed and you want further prayer, please come up afterwards. We'd love to pray with you, and that's totally fine. And if you're online, please communicate in the chat. We'd love to hear those testimonies that are rolling in. Praise God. Let's go. Thank you, Jesus. He loves us so much. All right. The second one is I felt like, I felt like the Lord showed me a picture of somebody's heart and they had gone through maybe like a heart attack or they had a, some type of heart episode and there was scar tissue in your left ventricle, scar tissue. And I felt like what God was saying is that he was, he was scooping out all of that scar tissue and, and it was, it's causing you problems. Like maybe your heart has not been innervated, like it's not able to, to pump the right amount of blood because of the scar tissue that's impeding it. And I feel like the Lord is scooping out all of that scar tissue and he's throwing it out and that your heart is going to be restored to fully function the way that he created it to function, just a brand new heart. Does that apply to anybody in the room? Wow, come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. Okay, thank you. Come on. Well, the people who are around, my brother, if you'd lay your hands on him, we're just going to pray a prayer of faith. And uh, thank you, Jesus. Holy moly. Wow, Lord, love you. Come on, and we'll pray for all of those people online as well. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. If the people who are in the circle, if you just want to go for it and pray, and then everybody just, let's all just waterfall prayer at, pray at the same time. Just speak to that heart. Command it to be healed for the glory of Jesus. Command that scar tissue to go in Jesus' name. So ready? Three, two, one. Everybody just start praying over our brother here. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, God. We praise you. We thank you for your name, God. You're so good, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that he's released, God. He's broken, Lord God, that this scar tissue is broken from his heart, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you, Jesus. We know who you are. You're the healer, Jehovah Rapha. Thank you, Lord, that this heart is stone, Jesus. Lord God, the scar tissue of stone is being replaced by the heart of flesh, God, in Jesus' name. We command his ejection fraction to go up in the name of Jesus. We love you, God, full, 100%, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, completely healed, completely restored.
Yes, Jesus. So we stand in faith. We thank you, God, for who you are. We declare your character as one who cares. Lord, you are so good. There's no other God like you. What other God cares enough about the minute detail of the people, they ser- the people that serve him? There's no other God like that. There's no other God who is literally over the entire universe and maintains, pays so much attention to it that not one little bird doesn't have enough food for the day. He pays so much attention, is over all of the earth, and yet he cares about you. He cares about me. He cares about my brother with his heart problem. That is crazy, God. There's nobody like you, Jesus. Nobody. There's no other God like you. And I thank you that your presence and power is here. Jesus, that your anointing to heal is here. So I thank you, Father, for a brand new heart in the name of Jesus. Completely restored, completely new. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. So good. Thank you, Father. Wow, man. Thank you, Jesus. I have just recently, I have just been really challenged and I don't know if you guys ever have this before where maybe you're just in like a time of worship. Maybe you're, you hear something from Pastor Wayne and something you've heard like a thousand times just suddenly like hits you a little bit different, you know? Like you've heard it a hundred times, but all of a sudden it just sticks out to you and the, like the Lord takes you into deeper revelation of something that's seemingly so simple, right? You know, I've had it times where, you know, we spend like, me and my friends will like worship and spend like a couple hours just worshiping and praising God. And at the end of it, you know, we get up off the floor and they're like, hey God, what, did, or hey Jared, what did, what did God tell you? And I'll just look at them and be like, God is real. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, God is real. Like, he, he's really real. And like, Jared, yeah, I know. I'm like, you're not getting it. You know, it's just like, God is, and I feel like recently the Lord has been giving me that kind of revelation with this phrase that there is no other God like our God. There's no other God like our God. There's nobody like our God. There's no one like him. Nobody, nobody, no other God is like our God. Whew, thank you, Jesus. Nobody, no other God cares as much about his people. Man, in all the other religions, it's like, Either you, you serve me and you get the good thing, but if you don't, then I'm, I'm throwing you to the side. You're out of here. And whether you serve me or you don't, I could really care less because I, I'm not about you. You're about me. And, like, what other God actually cares so much for his people? Like, man, I could sit there for a while. Come on. Well, I am super excited to be sharing a little bit. This week is Easter week. We are looking forward to Resurrection Sunday, Good Friday. This is one of the, my favorite times of the year, and I feel like every single year, just the, I receive a new revelation of what it truly meant for Jesus to die on the cross. And tonight, as we go through this message, my hope is that you would receive a deeper revelation of what it meant for Jesus to actually go and die on the cross. I never want to graduate from the cross. I never want to get to a place where I look at that rugged cross and I say, oh yeah, you know, that was a cool thing that Jesus did. No. Like, I want to stay in this place of awe and wonder of what God did, how he purchased me, how he redeemed my life, how there was literally no way for me to get to heaven aside from Jesus. I don't ever want to move past that. I don't ever want to become so biblically knowledgeable that that's just not as deep as a revelation as other other revelations 
I don't want that. I want to stay fully tethered to the cross of Jesus. You know, Paul said, I will boast in none other thing than Christ and him crucified. He said, may I never boast except in anything other than the cross. And my hope tonight is that we would receive that hunger and that desperation to stay tethered to the cross. Because it was at the cross that our redemption was bought. Tonight I'm going to be talking about how Jesus is the Lamb of God. How he was the one that purchased our freedom. And specifically I'm going to unpack this phrase, this character trait, this name that so many authors of the New Testament called Jesus the Lamb of God. And what did they mean by that? One of the first times that we see this phrase is in John 1.29. It's when John the Baptist is, he's baptizing a bunch of people. A bunch of people are coming and repenting. We would probably call, like today, we would probably call what John the Baptist was experiencing was like a revival. Like people just all nation, all ethnic groups, all socioeconomic statuses, like everything. We're all coming and repenting at the preaching of John and being baptized in the River Jordan. And it's in this, this state that all of a sudden Jesus the Messiah walks by the river Jordan. And John sees him and he knows, John the Baptist knows who he is. And this is kind of the first real introduction of Jesus as the Messiah to the Israelite community. And what, does, what name does John the Baptist call Jesus? This is John 1 verse 29. It says, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Out of all of the names that he could have said, he could have said the root of David, he could have said the Christ, he could have said the Messiah, the one we've waited for for thousands of years. But he chooses this phrase, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Later in Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible, Revelation, the Apostle John, one of Jesus' disciples has a vision of the resurrected Jesus. Jesus in all of his glory. And the book of Revelation is basically the revelation of Jesus Christ. What he looks like, who he is, what he's doing in heaven right now, and then what will happen at the end of time. And 28 times in the book of Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God. It is the, the name that is used most in this book of Revelation. John literally has a vision, sees the resurrected Jesus, and the only name that will fully encompass everything that Jesus is in his resurrected form is the Lamb of God. So what, what is this? What is this Lamb of God? Why is it so prevalent in Scripture, and what is the significance? This is the main question that we'll be exploring as we approach this beautiful weekend that we call Easter. So before we go into the significance of the Lamb of God, we got to understand one thing. we got to understand that the Bible was written to a Jewish audience. Jesus himself was Jewish. The disciples that Jesus walked with for three years, they were Jewish. God planted his seed inside of a Middle Eastern woman. And Jesus was raised in a Middle Eastern Jewish culture. And sometimes we, as believers and followers of Jesus, who did not grow up in a Jewish culture, or were not born and raised in that culture, sometimes we can miss some of the weight and some of the richness 
of Jesus' teaching and his ministry because we overlook this fact that we overlook the cultural context to which Jesus lived his life. The cultural context which Jesus was born into. But by viewing the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus through a Jewish lens, the cultural significance of Jesus' sayings and actions can be restored and redeemed to us. And that is my, that's where we're going to go today concerning the Lamb of God. We're going to look at the Old Testament scripture and we're going to see a little bit of a window into the context of the last week of Jesus' life. What was happening and what did, why was it important to a Jewish person, the events that were happening during that week? And my hope today is that we, through viewing Jesus' last week from a Jewish lens, that we would gain a deeper understanding and a deeper awe and reverence of God. Deeper awe and reverence of the work that he did on the cross. And I think that we all are going to go deeper tonight. So, let's jump into it. The first thing we're going to mention is the significance of lambs in the Old Testament. So, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection happened during an annual feast that the Jews celebrated every single year. So, when Jesus died, when he was buried, when he raised to life, it all happened during this annual feast called the Passover So to gain a a more full insight into the significance of Jesus as the Lamb of God, we're going to look back to the first Passover that was ever celebrated by the nation of Israel. And we'll see some of these windows, some of these customs and traditions, and how they were fulfilled in Jesus. So to find the first time that Passover was ever celebrated, we got to go back to ancient Egypt, to the people of God, the Israelites. And they were held in captivity as slaves under the Egyptian rule. And they were under this bondage, but they were crying out to God for freedom and for redemption. And it says in the beginning of Exodus that God heard Israel's cry for help and plea for salvation and decided to redeem and rescue his people from bondage. And the way that he was going to do it was through a series of 10 plagues on the nation of Egypt. These 10 plagues exposed the existing Egyptian idols and exposed them as what they were, false gods, And proved that Jehovah, Israel's God, was the one and only true God. And so, these series of plagues, it's kind of like this jockeying kind of scene that we see where Moses enters and then a plague comes and Pharaoh fakes like he's going to repent and then actually changes his mind, turns his heart. And you go through these plagues, there's flies, there's frogs, there's, you know, a litany of, of plagues. But it all builds up to this one last plague, the tenth plague which is called the plague of the firstborn. And this is where we find the mention, the terminology of the Passover and the significance of the lamb in the redemption of the Jewish people. So let's read about the plague of the firstborn. In Exodus 11, verse 4, we read, Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant, who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of all the animals. So God's, God said it. This was the 10th plague after a series of flies and frogs and a plague on livestock and hail and darkness and lightnings and thunderings. He says, I'm going for the firstborn. God is sending an angel of death into the Egyptian camp. And he says that the firstborn are going to die as a result of the plague. But God makes a distinction between the nation of Israel, and the people of Egypt. And he promises that the nation of Israel will be saved from this plague. 
But the question is how? God gives the nation of Israel a sign. And what is this sign? We read in Exodus 12, 3, and then 5 through 7. Exodus 12, 3, and then Exodus 12, 5 through 7. God instructs Moses, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Then we skip down to verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male for the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. This was the sign. Every man was supposed to go out and find a lamb, but not just any lamb, a lamb that was without blemish, a perfect lamb. And they were to kill that lamb. And why were they to kill that lamb? Because we'd find out later in Romans 6 verse 23 that the wages of our sin is death. And if there was going to be a payment for our sin, then there had to be a death of something or someone. So this lamb was the the payment for death. And then they dipped branch of hyssop, which is just a plant that was found in ancient Israel, and they put the blood on the doorposts. And this was the sign. And God reveals the purpose of this sign in Exodus verse 12 through 13. He says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over, pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So the blood of the lamb that without spot or blemish, when applied to the doorpost of the house, served as a sign to the angel of death that he wasn't welcome there. The angel of death passed over the houses and did not execute judgment. And that's what happened on that day. That night, all the people in the nation of Israel, they found a lamb, a spotless lamb without blemish. And they put it to death. They put blood on the doorposts. And that night, Pharaoh and all of Egypt lost their firstborn son to the angel of death. But on every single house where the blood had been applied, the angel of death passed over and the firstborn son was spared. And that caused Pharaoh so much grief and so much anger that he actually let the nation of Israel go. And so they were released from their bondage at that point. They were free to go and be freed from their slavery. And then as the story would unfold, God would part the Red Sea and they would go across and escape to freedom. And eventually, after longer than it was supposed to, they end up in the promised land. And this great exodus was meant to be remembered. And so for the first time, God actually sets up a yearly feast to commemorate and remember the great deliverance that God had brought to the nation of Israel. In Exodus 12, verse 14, we see this ordinance played out. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. And that's what the Jewish people did. They kept this feast, the Passover feast, for thousands of years. And since then, the Jewish people have observed the Passover, taking a lamb without spot or blemish, killing it, eating the meat from the lamb as a part of many other customs that are wrapped up in the feast of Passover. And later in the law of Moses, God would reveal that these lambs were offered not only as a way of remembering the great deliverance and the great exodus from Egypt, but they also were meant to serve as a payment for the sins of the nation of Israel. 
Like we said before, the wages of our sin is death. And so once a year, the high priest would find a spotless lamb and he would go into the holy of holies. He would go into the holiest place that was in the nation of Israel, the holiest place in all the temple. And he would kill the spotless lamb in order to cover over the sins of the entire nation. However, the blood of this lamb was not fully what God intended. It was just a precursor to the real sacrifice. Jesus and God set up this cultural feast, this cultural ordinance, so that the Jewish people would not miss the real sacrifice when he came. The blood of lambs and the blood of goats and the blood of bulls, it was just, it was just the opening act for the Lamb of God, the true Lamb of God, who would come on stage and destroy sin once and for all. Hebrews 10 verse 1 kind of speaks into this this precursor nature of the Lamb of God and what it was in the Old Testament. It says in Hebrews 10 verse 1, it says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. He says, this lamb, this spotless lamb even, that the high priest is entering into the most holy place, like it's just a shadow of the real thing. And if you look at somebody's shadow, depending on where the sun is, it could either portray them as super, super tall on on the ground or super, super short, right? But it's not a real picture of what the fullness of what they are. You can't see their facial features in a shadow. You can't see the color of their hair in a shadow. You can't see any of these minute details. And so also, you cannot see the fullness of what God intended for the nation of Israel through these blood sacrifices, There was so much more that God intended, and he was about to fulfill it. The real thing that John the Baptist saw when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So you might be asking, how did Jesus fulfill this Lamb? How was Jesus the Lamb of God? And this is where we get interesting. This is where I get excited. I love talking about this stuff. This just blows my mind and keeps me, oh, in so much hunger and awe and reverence. Jesus was and is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. First, we're going to go through three connections to Jesus' life that relate back to the Passover feasts and the ordinances that were set up from the Passover. So remember what I said, how the priest would take a spotless lamb and they would go into the most holy place and offer it on behalf of the sins of the nation of Israel, right? What the priest had to do, though, is any lamb that was brought to them had to be 100% spotless. It could not have any blemish, any nick, any cut, anything. It was disqualified. You know what the priest did is they would take the lamb and they would spread its legs. They would ruffle all of the wool, ruffle all of it. They would, they would scour this lamb to make sure that there was none, zero blemishes in this lamb. And did you know that Jesus himself was also examined by a priest. He was examined by a priest. This is what it says in Matthew 3, verse 13 through 15. This is where Jesus comes to be baptized by John the Baptist. Now, what you need to know about John the Baptist is John the Baptist was the son of Zechariah. And Zechariah was a priest. He was the high priest. He was the priests of priests. And John the Baptist, as his son, legally had a right to become into the priesthood. But it wasn't just Zechariah who was of the priestly lineage. His mother, Elizabeth, she also was of the priestly lineage, but not of the Levites. She was of the Aaronic priesthood. 
So on two separate accounts, John the Baptist has a rightful place to the priesthood. And where the priests at Jesus' time had become so far separated from the truth of what it meant to follow Jesus, John the Baptist came as a forerunner, as the true priest, the priest of priests, to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And it's interesting that Jesus goes to John the Baptist, this priest of priests, he goes to John the Baptist to be baptized. And this is what we read, Matthew 3, verse 13 through 15. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Jesus knew what he was coming to this earth for. He knew that he was the Lamb of God. He knew that he had to honor the Old Testament pattern that God had set up for the people of Israel. So he had to go to a priest to be examined just like one of those little lambs did. And when he went to John the Baptist to be examined, John the Baptist found him. And Jesus said, this must be done to fulfill what? All righteousness. He was perfect. He was without spot. He was without blemish. He was a perfect lamb of God. And then Jesus would go and he would offer his body as a sacrifice for the sin of the world. Just like the Lamb of God in the Old Testament was was killed and the blood was applied to the doorpost and then the people would eat. They would eat of the Lamb on that day, on the day of Passover. Jesus in Matthew 26 verse 26 he says, And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. He gives his body just like the Lamb of God in the Old Testament was given to the people. This last one, I just, man, as I was preparing for this, this one, I just found this one. This was so awesome. If you remember back in Exodus 12, verse 6, said that all the congregation of the nation of Israel, they had to take the spotless Lamb of God and they had to kill it at twilight. This is how much God pays attention to his word. This is how much God is so intent on keeping his word. He's, he's so intent. He says in Jeremiah 1.12 that he literally watches over his word to perform it. He's not somebody who's going to say something and then not fulfill it. And so he had to keep up with this type and shadow. In Exodus 12 verse 6 it said, All the congregation of the nation of Israel, they had to take the spotless lamb and kill it at twilight. And if you look in your Bible, Matthew 27, verse 45, what happens while Jesus is hanging on the cross in his last hours? In Matthew 27, verse 45, it says, Now from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. There was darkness over all the land. Now, the sixth hour, that's about noon. The ninth hour, that's about 3 p.m., There's no reason why darkness should be over the the whole face of the earth. There's no reason. Why did it get dark? It's because God had to fulfill the Old Testament type and shadow. The lamb was killed at twilight, and so also Jesus, the lamb of God, had to be sacrificed at twilight. He had to be sacrificed in the, the time of day when it was pitch dark and nobody could see. God so fulfilled and honored his word. And through Jesus' blood and sacrifice, this is perhaps... The most powerful type and shadow that's fulfilled. In the very first exodus, the people of God dipped the tree branches in the lamb's blood and applied it on the doors of the house and the angel of death passed over the house. And so also, we, when we come to Jesus and give him our lives, 
when we accept him as Lord of our lives, we too apply his blood onto the doorposts of our heart and we are saved from eternal death in hell. The angel of death passes over us and we receive the fullness of life here on earth and eventually with him forever in heaven. Colossians 1 verse 13 through 14 says that Jesus has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. And God is offering every single one of us today an opportunity, one, to go deeper in our understanding and our awe of reverence of the cross and to give Jesus more and more glory for the beautiful picture that he has been writing for thousands of years. And number two, if you don't know Jesus, he's offering you a way of escape. He's offering you a Passover. And if you will accept Jesus, if you'll make him the Lord of your life, then the angel of death can pass over you. You can be saved from the impending judgment that's coming on your life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if that's you in the room or you're watching online and you're saying, you know what, Jared, as we approach this Easter season, I don't want to wait until Sunday to get right with God. I don't want to wait till Good Friday. Tonight's the night I know I'm not right with God. I know that I haven't accepted the fullness of the sacrifice that Jesus has paid for me, but I want to. I want to step into fullness of relationship with Jesus. I want to turn from my sin. I want to follow Jesus and trust him with my life. If that's you, everyone head bowed, eyes closed. If that's you and you say, I want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, on the count of three, I'm going to have people in-house raise your hand. And if you're watching online, you can type yes in the chat. One, two, three, if that's you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. See that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for those who are responding online. Thank you. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. All right, would everybody pray this prayer after me? The Bible says that when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised from the dead, then we will be saved. And that's simply what we're going to do. We're going to cry out to him as a family, as a brothers and sisters all gathered here together under the message of Jesus. So let's pray all this together. You can repeat after me. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Lord, I am a sinner and I need a savior. Would you come and be my savior and be my Lord? I submit my life to you, Jesus. And I want to follow you the rest of my days. Holy Spirit, fill me up. And teach me how to walk this out right. In Jesus' name. Now, I'm just going to pray for all of those who made those decisions real quick. Lord, I thank you, God, for every single person, God, who raised their hand and responded. Every person who typed yes in the chat, who's watching online. God, I pray, Father, that their faith would not fail. Jesus, that you would surround them with Christians. Lord, that you would make them a fragrance of Christ that draws other godly believers to them, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would open the scriptures to them, Lord, that as they read your word and go deep with you, God, that they would get to know you for who you truly are. Father, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit, fill them with your love, God, and give them the boldness that it takes to turn from their old life and to walk new with you, Jesus. I love you, God, and I praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.
Amen. 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 Thank you guys so much.